Dead Reckoning has me fully torqued. It's a really interesting trailer. It still seems to me like there's a sound effects track missing. Well, I assume they're, they don't even have sound effects yet because it's so early. I mean, it's they just year, recently year finished. Out, over a year out. Yeah, I figured they did that because they just didn't have the sound team in there yet. So like, oh, it's let's make it easy. still really cool. I, and I kind of like that because it's a very like minimal trailer. It's got like a symphony playing or an orchestra playing. Henry Zerny's monologue to Ethan. And it's just so, it's so simple, but effective. It, it makes me feel like I'm watching like an old trailer from like the early 2000s or late 90s. I think which is part of the point, you know, to make it feel like the first Mission Impossible or something. Yeah. I freaking loved that. Like I, as soon as the trailer finished for the first time I saw it, I was like, huh. But it's so good when you find something that's doing something different from the norm because every trailer these days is just like yeah. the inception effect it's crazy was stuff like that before inception and i just don't remember it there was a couple things i think transformers was doing like you know part of that but <laughs> industrial sounds <laughs> it was just like yeah trailers there are trends and fads, and right now the fad with trailers is like, especially with art films, but that's oh. bleeding into blockbuster film. Like it's basically like a, they take a noise from the film and then have that carry through the pacing of the. They put it into a rhythm, and then that carries the rest of the trailer forward. You know, I've gotten tired of the trailers frequently for horror films. Well, they'll do a cover of like a. A song. Oh yeah. They'll they'll modernize like a song and they'll make it slow, make it kind of creepy. I'm just at this point. I'm like, come on. Something in the way. Okay, that was one of the least uh, offensive examples. Well, it's because it wasn't really a remix. Yeah, yeah. That was actually cool because it was the actual song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like and it worked. Like Robert Pattinson Batman is listening to Nirvana right now. Yeah. And it worked both thematically and it was like in the movie, it was part of like, it was, yeah. No, but I get what you're saying. I mean, there was a, I I think the Candyman trailer had that. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Old man yelling at clouds. Moving on. (laughs) What's funny is you're not that old. (laughs) I'm world weary. I feel old. I'm an old soul and I'm weary. I'm an old soul. I'm 28 years old. This is my old man voice. What are we doing here today, Steven? Well, I've called you here to tell you <laughs> You've summoned about our me? Lord and Savior, Love, Death, and Robots, Season 3. <laughs> David Fincher. Yeah, David it's Fincher. The, the second coming. But yeah, we're here today doing our second cast for the third season. I mean, because we did Season 2. Yeah. We're we, back with Season 3 of Love, Death, and Robots. Yay! Which, which is, is actually, like you said in the last episode... Like the the second half of season two, because season one was a lot longer. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if that was ever part of their the plan intention to release like shorter seasons moving forward, or if they maybe wanted this initially to be the back half of season two. But that's, it that's feels what I was implying. Yeah, it season three feels like its own thing yep. to me. Maybe it's just because the you know recency bias. No, I think you're correct. But it's out. Yeah, and it's it's pretty good. If you were kind of disappointed with season two, I think season three is a step up uh, just across the board, I want to say. I don't know. Yeah. A little less fat and filler, a little more meat on the bone. I Some cool ideas. I felt a little bit differently 
but continue. Yeah, again, for those who don't know or haven't or, or who have forgotten, Love Death Robots is an animated anthology series produced by, and in this case, directed a single episode, uh, David Fincher and what's the other guy's name? Tim Miller. Yeah, Tim Miller of what fame? Uh, he directed the first Deadpool film. Yes, which gave him a lot of clout. Yes, it did. Define <laughs> anthology for our listeners. Uh, in this case, every episode is a, a unique story, and it's unrelated to everything that's come before. And these are short episodes, too, so it's a very, uh, despite its graphic and uh, mature nature, yeah. uh, very digestible. All the episodes are between 5 and you know 17 minutes long. Yeah, it's kind of like American Horror Story doing a new thing every season, but like Gabe said, here we have every episode it does a new thing. It's like its own contained story. Yeah, and I think that works for it very well because mm-hmm. some of the episodes are not as interesting as others, and you you don't feel like you've really wasted any time with it because it's it, it's over pretty much just as quickly as it began. Um, but yeah, I I personally enjoy it. I can't remember ever watching an episode of this show and feeling like I had wasted my time. I know that's not the case with everyone, but I'm a big sucker for this campy, like uh, twisted metal kind of. Uh, violence and gore uh like super campy at times it also has a lot of meaning and thought yeah provoking yeah that's what i was gonna say as a qualifier it's frequently very thought-provoking it is sci-fi or i think last time we had a a tiny debate about this uh i think you said it was sci-fi and i said it's a little bit more than sci-fi because sometimes it bends towards like fantasy or space opera a little bit and I consider sci-fi to be more grounded when I'm just using that term. Um, but it is essentially a sci-fi anthology. So everything you're seeing in the show is... Did I just win the debate? I'm conceding. Episodes later? As the bigger you're man. You're conceding. <laughs> I, well, it's, it sounds like it's just a subjective Well, for instance, the def- Rats episode. You define it. Would you call that you sci-fi? I guess it is sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Yeah. It's some are harder sci-fi than others. Some of them are very classical, like deep space adventures, you know, distant future kind of like stories, you know. Yeah, and then some are just you know near future, dystopic or otherwise just kind of crazy, like the rats episode. <laughs> that was my favorite episode this season. Was it really? Yeah, that was that was a really fun episode. Not my favorite, but it was a, it was a joy to watch. I there's a lot to say about each episode i think there's only nine this time yeah i think the rats one was uh the people who did the junkyard episode do you remember that one yeah i didn't like the junkyard one yeah but the, i loved this one the rats are better I, than the junkyard. I actually when it started i was like oh no because I, I i recognized the animation <laughs> yeah but it ended up being something super amazing <laughs> yeah and that's worth noting as well that all these are done by different studios some of them are uh they'll do two or three episodes per season like blur for instance who did the much-celebrated uh, Beyond the Aquila Rift in season one. I think yeah. they, they worked on a few this season, including, I want to say, the one that David Fincher directed himself, which was the second episode. Yep, called Bad Traveling. Which was a uh, sea shanty, uh, pirates and on they, the open waters. And Blur also did episode six called Swarm, which... Yes, yeah. They, a, yeah. Blur is good. Blur and stung. that one was directed by Tim Miller. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Those were those were two high production value episodes, so it doesn't surprise me that yeah 
they were in there. Really quick, I'm just going to name the directors for each of these episodes. Yeah. And I'll list the episodes too. So the first episode of this season was actually, I think it's like the first sequel episode to uh, sort of another anthology episode that had come, I think, from season one called Three Robots. And this episode is called Exit Strategies. This is directed by Patrick Osborne. And the animation studio was Blow Studio from Spain. Episode two, as we just said, is called Bad Traveling. And it was directed by David Fincher himself, the one and only. And this was done by Blur Studio from right here in the U.S. of A. Uh, Episode three is called The Very Pulse of the Machine. And that was directed by Emily Dean by Polygon Pictures. That was a Japanese studio. Episode four is called Night of the Mini Dead. Mini, like tiny and that's directed by robert bc and andy lyon and that was done by a studio called buck all caps b-u-c-k and that's also from the u.s and then kill team kill was directed by jennifer Yu nelson you nelson maybe y-u-h i don't know and that was done by a studio called titmouse also in the u.s of a and then episode six was swarm directed by tim miller as we just said also done by blur studios from right here in the u.s Mason's Rats was episode seven. Carlos Stevens directed that episode, and that was done by Axis Studios from Scotland, which is awesome because it was definitely a Scottish thing. And then In Vaulted Halls Entombed, episode eight. That was done by Jerome Chen, and that was done by Sony Pictures Imageworks, Canada. And then episode nine is called Jabaro, and that was directed by Alberto Mielgo. And that is done by a studio called Pinkman TV from Spain. Those are the guys, I think, that did The Witness from season one. One of my other favorite episodes. Those guys have such a distinct animation. Yeah, that was also Pinkman TV, right? I don't know if this season did the episode shuffle thing that they've done in the past. I think it's pretty linear for everybody. You said uh, Mason's Rats was your favorite episode? Mason's Rats, by far my favorite episode. I'll tell you why. By far. (laughs) Yeah, by far. I didn't like season three, I don't think, as much as you did. I liked season two more, personally. There were a couple really good episodes this season. But, like, this whole thing, like we were saying, is anthology. And if I could make, like, a best ofs list from all three seasons, you know, I could pick, like, a top 10 or top 15 or something. But Yeah. But there's some episodes I just couldn't stand this season, <laughs> just like just like the last ones. So You don't like the military stuff, right? It's, it's really difficult for me. To, I get bored. The gung-ho the machismo, kind of, uh, the machismo. The machismo, yeah. I have a really hard time with that, to be honest, because it just feels super gratuitous. And like, what are we, what are we standing for? Like, what are we inflating? Like, what are we, yeah, puffing up? I think those are the episodes that are a little less uh, th- about thought provoking and just more about the camp and like, like you said, the v- over extravagance and the violence. Yeah, and I just, I just, it's really hard for me to get on board with that. I definitely see some humor in it, like. Tropic Thunder is an amazing example of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the episode this season, that was the most machismo one, which was, is called... Uh, is it Kill Team Kill? Kill Team Kill, <laughs> where they go take out a, a cyber bear in a, like a bunker underground <laughs> in like Russia or something. I don't know. Yeah. There's some good quips in there. But yeah, the whole thing is just like... It's non-stop one every, every character is playing off the trope you've seen in any... It's mil- like a predator ...military setup. movie. Yeah. It's like you have the captain, you have the bulky... Sarge! The heavyweight guy. <laughs> you have the guy that has the painted face who's a little bit skinnier and... 
also has like, he's like telling jokes the whole time and you have, you know, you have all those characters and they're going to do this mission and take out this, what they were calling the honey badger because they're just morons, but is actually a, a bear. Yeah. Like a tech techie bear. It's gone rogue. Tank. Yeah. Pretty anyway, scary. Yeah. Mason's Rass was by far my favorite. I think it felt like it had the most heart to me and yeah. I, that's what I'm looking for in anything is just heart. We also and had some pretty crazy gore in that one. But it was, but it was also okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and it is very gory. But it also is very comedic. Yeah, in the way that it plays that gore, <laughs> which gave it another leg up. Because the whole idea is, this is a little bit in the distant future, which is another thing that I liked about it. Because I like the episodes that kind of play like it's like a dystopia. It's like our present, but a little bit in the distant future. Yeah, where rats have had to adapt to uh, survive, and they like basically you know have started brewing beer they have their own communities they talk they have made weapons and and they can shoot bows and arrows like little tiny bows and arrows and and they're defending their home and trying to create a community inside this guy's barn in scotland and this guy is just you know he's got a scottish accent that was super charming uh craig ferguson as oh was it and the salesman was dan stevens oh how funny yeah this show has a lot of famous voice talent dan, you sometimes dan, dan stevens is an amazing actor anyway. yeah um, He's great. I love the scene where the robot throws the rat into the air and just <laughs> <laughs> shoots it like a million times. And see that that kind of thing is that's what I'm looking for when it comes to gore. Like if you're gonna do gore, go a little bit over the top, kind of like a Tarantino type thing. That's that's what I would rather see rather than like a true blue kind of gore that is that feels gratuitous because it's just it's just too much this is this is almost fun you know yeah and anyway this scottish guy hires an adapted pest control company that has created all these new fangled ways to deal with these kinds of rats killer robots like killer robots (laughs) it's like a scorpion robot that goes into the barn and starts chopping off the heads of these rats and and piling them up and on his doorstep and then in the end he kills the robot and befriends the rats because he he decides that it's super inhumane yeah <laughs> it's inhumane and that these rats are you know they're people too <laughs> in a manner of speaking and and the the rats have brewed like an amazing ale in oh, his yeah. barn and he, he tastes it and he's like i'm not gonna kill you anymore <laughs> i thought it was just rat poison but it didn't kill him so yeah <laughs> anyway that was my favorite episode i think by far i think there's a couple other standouts for me and I know your favorite, I think you said, was Jabaro, which was the last episode in the season. Yeah. That was definitely a standout. Jabaro was exceptional. I didn't like Swarm. That might have been my least favorite. Bad Traveling, the David Fincher one, I also thought was really cool. And then I, my other favorite one was Night of the Mini Dead. I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that one was super short, too. It's only a, a few minutes. Seven minutes long. And it's just showing you all these vignettes. It might have even been five minutes with credits. Yeah. Yeah. It was very short. Showing you all these vignettes of the outbreak, like Walking Dead style in the city. And (laughs) And it reminded me of World War Z. Yeah. And it's all like top down, like map. So it feels like kind of distant, but you can see what's going on. It's all done with like miniatures. Tilt shift. That's the word I meant to say instead of vignette. Yeah. 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 It was cool. Even the scene with like the monks on top of the the temple yeah. and they're just kung fu fighting <laughs> the uh the zombies was pretty great i love i love it that, i love yeah yeah those were, i think those were the guys that did the uh topher grace has a small society in his freezer episode and from then the, the first. mary elizabeth winstead yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but this one, this one was was really funny. Yeah, short and sweet. That Topher Grace one was really cool as well. The idea behind it, like they go from primal to to like super hyper advanced dystopic, then they end up like killing themselves and going yeah. into the ice age again. Yeah, the social commentary in the show, as always, is is the in there. Yeah, it hit. They hit it pretty hard on the nose in those uh, three robots episodes. Oh. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. They're like the humans destroyed themselves. <laughs> Pretty fun. Those guys are kind of like you said, the mascot of the show now as they've had their yeah. second episode. Right. I also really liked personally the very pulse of the machine, which was the animated one, episode th- three, where there's the two astronauts on. I think it was Io. Oh yeah, that one was sweet. That one was. It was really sweet for me because it was yeah. the weird fiction episode, yeah. I guess, of the. I forgot about that one, but that was definitely one of my top ones as well. Yeah, super cool. The, these guys are great with animation, and the story was really was really nice. I loved the idea of the cosmic consciousness, I guess, is how you could sum it up, of Io. It also had a nice ending. It wasn't, like, dark. It was. It felt, like, very warm, how the actress, uh, Mackenzie Davis, voiced this character. She just kind of... Uh, she, I thought she sounded familiar. She took a step into the abyss and becomes part of that cosmic consciousness. So it's also really cool because it's grounded in reality. That's that's an actual moon on Jupiter. Yeah, Io. It's the third largest moon. It's a frequent of Jupiter setting for science fiction for space stuff. Yeah, because there's said to be a lot of familiar material elements. Oh yeah, on Io that could sus- like sustain or support some sort of life. And this had an interesting spin. It made Io kind of out to be like a higher thinking, almost computer or robot. That was like an organic, the whole planet was like an organic kind of robot. A lot like we see in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with uh, Ego. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah. This was very similar to that idea, but had a, a less different ending. Psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that we got some literal Cthulhu happening in uh, episode eight. Which I wasn't crazy about as a whole. It was another one of those um, soldiers episodes, but always fun to see Cthulhu on the small screen. And it was literally <laughs> Cthulhu. Like it would, there was, I don't know if they said Cthulhu, but it was Cthulhu. Pretty cool. With all the eyes? Yeah. The one where they're going through the tunnels and. I did not take that as a Cthulhu thing. Really? But yeah, but it I. It was pure Cthulhu. <laughs> I can see why you would say that. I mean, that's literally what he does with uh, his effect on the human mind is it induces like psychosis. So there's like the people responded in kind, what is consistent with Lovecraft stories also kind of look like him. I don't know. We didn't get a good view because he was trapped underground, but that one was good. It just, I wish it would have played out differently. I felt like half of it was just dealing with those little spider bots. Yeah. Getting to the Cthulhu. Once we got there, it got interesting, but that was only like two minutes of the episode and then it was over. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then, yeah, like you said, my favorite episode was, uh, if not Jabaro, Bad Traveling was really good. I think that's probably the highest rated episode. But Jabaro, to me, on a personal level, I thought was genius. Jabaro's and, really dope. You want to talk about what it is? Yeah. About? It, well, it's also... Puerto Rico. One of the episodes that Netflix did uh, feature on. You can look on YouTube and see little featurettes for some of these episodes, some of the... Yeah, I'm assuming that was all motion capture. Well, yeah, they started as a base for the choreography using motion capture, but then they also do a lot of hand-drawn and cell uh, animation, yeah. and they have to like scuff it up a little because their animation 
looks too capture good. is too good they said yeah and they wanted it to be very jarring yeah. and jittery uh in this episode so they did a lot of work to make that i could, I could see how they aesthetic work it seemed like they were constantly speed ramping by like 10 or 15 percent yeah like every like one to two seconds was like a tiny speed ramp and then it would go back to normal speed like that kind of thing yeah jabaro is a very out frames or something. frantic fever dream fairy tale of a conquistador era vignette where this traveling troop of uh i guess you could call them spaniards is moving through the new world and they come across a siren who instantly tempts them all to their deaths with her death song uh, except for one who is a deaf conquistador and he has this little 15 minute adventure where he's that's jabara is that jabara yeah that's his name yeah the deaf knight jabara the deaf knight jabara <laughs> he ends up pursuing her and there's this uh ebb and flow relationship between the two until the end in which he ends up basically stripping her of her the siren is covered in like uh treasure Go- yeah jewels and gold and and glass yeah it's it, it's pretty scary when they do close-ups of her face because she she's or not human her at all because she, she's and she's con- every movement that she makes is a dance yeah she's constantly flowing in some sort of creepy dance it's like both seductive and frightening at the yeah. same time well and she ends up in a way kind of f- in in a way that is kind of inhuman falling for Jabaro because he wasn't killed by her death song yeah she was interested and then so when she cozies up to him, he ends up sort of killing her and she like flows down river back to her small pond and uh, Jabaro's on the run with his treasure. Kind of shaped like a heart, by the way. Yeah. On its side. Yes. And then uh, she comes back to life and Jabaro spontaneously gets his hearing back and now he can hear the death song and, and he is lured to his death as well. So the whole thing works on yeah. multiple levels as a metaphor, both for, uh, depending on how you take it. Did you, you, you just said how it ends. He succumbs to her call. Yeah, and he is lured to his death. And then he gets, he sinks down to the bottom of her heart shaped pond. Her and, little pond. Yeah. And then she's all, but she's still stripped of her gold. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So the, the I think the most obvious, like what is literally happening, it's the story of the conquistadors in a manner of speaking, you know, raping the new world. And the land and the people for what it is. That's what they would, that's literally what it is. You know, if, if that's too much to say on the podcast, we could just say stripping, kind of uh, (laughs) pillaging. There you go. The conquistadors pillaging the new world for all its resources and its beauty. And not just, you know, to put that on the Spaniards, but the entire, (laughs) the entirety of Europe rolling in. Don't you put that on the Spaniards, man. (laughs) Rolling in and destroying uh, the Americas at that time. Sure. and that's reflected in, in the way that Jabaro interacts with the siren. Gold, guns, and glory, whatever all that is. But also on a level, it's about toxic relationships and, and uh, a man and a woman coming together and how mm-hmm. they're just not good for each other and end up, you know, killing each other. <laughs> not necessarily literally, but... Wanting different things, wanting to own, wanting to possess, wanting to be in charge of, wanting to control, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. nailed it. Yeah. And, all, and so that's reflected not just in, like, the literal story beats, but also in... In the choreography, which I thought was incredible. In that is so good. Yeah. I mean, like I said, and I mean that every movement that she makes, if it's not like she's just taking a step forward, she's dancing or like moving 
in a very like sensual, but like, again, I said, sort of frightening way. Every movement that she makes is dancing. When she goes from standing up to laying down next to him, it's, it's a dance move. It's, and, and I, I don't mean like a flashy dance. It's like a very poetic fluid type dance. Yeah. And um, then it's really interesting to contrast that with the way that she the, can, yeah. When she controls people with her yeah. voice, <laughs> the, the men then respond to her call and they dance in this very horrifying, like, like their bodies being taken over, but it, you can tell that it's still a dance. Yeah. Like as if this was choreographed. Uh-huh. So sorry, I just had to jump in because I no, no. got excited. Yeah, me too. And you could see a lot of that in the featurette. They show BTS of the dancers uh, in the studio, and it's really amazing to watch wow. these people move their bodies in literally just that that same way. Yeah. Um, also, the music plays a huge part in it, and they sampled a lot of tracks in this episode. I actually have a playlist here called Jubaro. They sampled Ryuichi's Sakamoto's Full Moon uh, a track called Teal One from Kjartan Svensson. Uh, Villa Segora, a forest burst out into leaves by Ensemble Piran. And a track called Hyperboloid by Kilowatt. Some really interesting musical choices in that episode. And the way it ends, too, where it all comes, it's like it gets really intense by the end before, before the episode finishes when Jabaro's getting pulled in. And the emotion of the scene, at least for me, it, it played really well. And I was like, I was totally glued to the screen for the entire episode, but especially at the end. I agree. So I don't know. I There are some really cool episodes in this show, but Jabaro for me. And I agree with you about The Witness. I think it's a, it's a standout episode as far as what a studio can do with animation. Yeah. The whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, why can't we hire this team to make like a Marvel series or something? Like this would actually escalate what Marvel Studios is trying to do with like, you know, being very different from, from series to series or yeah, but movie that, to movie. That raises a, a great question and about a lot of the way these people refer to their animation, not just for this episode, but they refer to that as a, as adult animation and like the maturity of both the animation and the themes that you can approach here. I don't think Marvel would allow them to really use their medium uh, to its fullest extent, which is why these episodes are so good. You're right. You're right. I thought about that as well. But I, we do see. I was cool. thinking kind of in like dream sequences and stuff. Like, yeah, how cool would have this editing style been in like the Moon Knight series when yeah. when he's like doing having some freak out moments? Like, there's some genius stuff in these episodes that, especially in, by this studio, that would have I think translated well. Yeah, it would be fun to incorporate in smaller bites. I think also because I don't think animation, you know, sells as well as live action uh, to a larger market, unfortunately. Even though you could do so much cool stuff in animation. Yep. Like none of this, well, some of it, most of it wouldn't be possible with live action. The, the stuff that we see in this series, they really push the envelope in what is possible here. And that's why I love this show. Yeah. I didn't realize how many like prominent actors were in this show. Like in episode eight, we had Joe Manganiello. Yeah. And then I instantly Christ recognized him. Christian uh, Serratos, she's from Twilight and she's also in in Popstar. And then Jai Courtney from the the Suicide Squad movie. Yep. Was also in that. And then you already mentioned Craig Ferguson and Dan, Dan Stevens and Rosario Dawson was in Swarm. I knew I recognized her voice. I could not remember who it was. Mm -hmm. Seth Green was in this, Gabriel Luna, uh Joel McHale, 
and were in the Kill Team Kill. Mr. Troy Baker himself was... Troy Baker was in episode two. It's bad traveling. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you said, Mackenzie Davis and a couple other people. But anyway, another great season. Yeah. Do you know if they're going to do more? Uh, this... They probably will. Okay. I, I really hope they do. I feel like this is like the thing I'm going to chew on until Black Mirror comes out again. Yeah. Like, I've been waiting a long time for more Black Mirror. There's not a whole lot of stuff like this in Western media, so I hope we get some more of it. Mm. Yeah. And I think we will. I think Netflix seems to be pretty into this. Well, they've Netflix has been cutting... I don't know if we've talked about this, but they cut really hard in the last few months into their animation sector and pretty much just canceled a lot of the stuff, stuff that we didn't don't even know about because I think it was geared more towards kids. I'm not sure if that's accurate. But to see Love, Death, Robots still doing well is pretty pretty cool has it gotten a positive reception this time around yeah yeah i mean it's usually pretty positive everybody gravitates towards a certain handful of episodes but overall it's it's pretty people like it i think yeah i don't know how well it does like if it brings in the numbers to warrant netflix not giving up on it like netflix does so often Mm -hmm. but i could could see them doing a few more seasons right yeah especially when they're on like they're kind of desperate right now for big IP. Not that this is big IP, but it has a niche, I think. So I think they'll keep it. Yeah. They have some things in the works that are going to be really interesting to see how they play out going forward. Netflix. You got the Sandman coming out. I don't think we've talked about that yet. That's coming out in a little bit over a month. I didn't know that Marilyn Monroe's thing was a Netflix property. NC-17. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe. That's crazy. (laughs) With Ana de Armas and... Blonde, that's what it's called. It's called Blonde, yeah. And then, but but as far as fr- big franchises, there's a live action Pokemon television series <gasps> that has a lot of people jazzed. And then the live action Avatar: The Last Airbender series, which had the original creators attached, and then they lost them, and now everyone's a little bit scared about how it's going to turn out. But yeah, who knows? Did you see the other Avatar news though? Not James yeah, Cameron, yeah. but yeah, the three movies. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they, there's an Avatar Studios at Nickelodeon. So the original creators left this Netflix live action adaptation and went and created like another, an animation subsidiary studios at Nickelodeon called Avatar Studios. And they have announced a bunch of new stuff. They haven't actually announced what they are, but they have said they're going to do a bunch of new stuff. And But one of the things they said they were working on was a another feature or, or a, a first animated feature film and they just announced, I think, yesterday or today that they're going to make that into three animated feature films. Yeah. It's crazy that they just realized, Paramount and Nick, that they're sitting on this Golden Goose IP <laughs> after 10 years, because thank Cora was 10 years ago. And yeah. the way Nickelodeon bungled, absolutely bungled, <laughs> the Cora release, like, it, it's such a depressing thing. So hopefully now, you know, 10 years later, they'll be able to, to do it justice. It is really funny to watch things gain a cult following and then it's like it's like arrested development like it wasn't popular until after it was taken off the air and well i think it was even i think cora did okay in its original run but nickelodeon the management was so poor at that time they they didn't even air the fourth season i think it was on streaming only and that was in like eight or nine years ago so yeah i remember because i was watching it as it came out and (laughs) You had to go to like the Nickelodeon website just to watch which it was, which was a shit show. <laughs> it was it was literally just like you know, 
just like a website was. I felt like I was logging into like Zoog Disney or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't have been a thing, but here we are. Yep. I think the first of these three films is about Zuko in between the two series, oh. if I read that correctly. And then I think the second and third films are sequels to that story. So more Zuko, always good. Yeah. I thought... be, you think they'll bring back Dante Bosco? That'd be cool. Yeah. He was in Korra and he's still... This That's is a different like, character. It's though. like... He played a he played the, seventy the, years after the grandson of Zuko. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, Zuko, which was just funny because but it's... Dante he's <laughs> he's like all about it. This is like his yeah. his bread and butter as this character, and he loves that character, and he's still doing the podcast uh, for Nickelodeon, and he's one of the hosts along with uh, Jan- Janet Varney's podcast. Janet Varney, yes, Nickelodeon's podcast. I like Janet Varney too. She's so cool. It'd be fun if they fit her into the uh, the movies somehow. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Let's play a song here. Why don't we play one of your songs from Jabaro? Yeah, let's do that. It's a bunch. All right, let's play one of the bunch of the songs from Jabaro. <laughs> 